The text that we consider this evening is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of review the circumstances that surround this text and that surround this epistle that the inspired apostle wrote to young Timothy at Ephesus. And that for the sake of arriving at a theme, a theme for this epistle, a theme for us to work with as we continue through this inspired scripture. The Apostle Paul, of course, was in Rome, probably a second time in jail, but this time, the final time, the Apostle convinced of his imminent death, having ministered for years in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he prepares now to seal his ministry by his own blood. And the Apostle about to depart remembers Timothy, the next generation, as it were, uh, the soldier still in the trenches and with uh, quite a lot of work to do. And so he writes this letter to Timothy and exhorts him and encourages him in that work of the ministry. Timothy, Ephesus, young minister, false teachers already, more false teachers to come, as the apostle says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, persecution increasing over the empire, uh, approaching nearer and nearer to Timothy himself. So that the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. As it were, Paul saying to Timothy, it's coming your way too, and be partaker and suffer with me in these afflictions. A theme of the epistle then, when you survey the whole uh, the whole letter, hold fast the truth. Hold fast the truth. The idea of holding fast you find again and again. Ver chapter 1, verse 13, hold fast. Chapter 2, verse 3, a similar idea, endure, and so forth. And when you survey the epistle, you find that the truth in particular is that to which the apostle calls Timothy to hold fast. Chapter 1, verse 13, hold fast the, fir the form of sound words. And in verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Chapter 4, the apostle says, I charge you, preach the word, be instant in season, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So holding fast the truth is so significant an aspect to 2 Timothy, and it's woven throughout each chapter, the importance of faithfulness, especially in connection with the truth. And all of this for Jesus' sake. 
The apostle reminds Timothy just what is this gospel that Timothy preaches, this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, by means of which it pleases God to save his people, to call them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so the content of the gospel is the ground on which the apostle calls Timothy to hold fast. Naturally, then, the, the, the letter is full of exhortation, much exhortation in Second Timothy. And the text that we consider this evening is really the first of many exhortations to come. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Now, this exhortation, notice the word wherefore, connects with what the apostle has just said regarding the unfeigned faith that is in Timothy. It being so, Timothy, that this unfeigned faith is in you, and even deeper than that, that Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, stir up the gift. And so the apostle calls Timothy to renewed zeal in the exercise of his office of minister. Now, what is the scope of application with an exhortation like this? And the first, the immediate application, the, the, the first application is to ministers of the gospel. And so many of the exhortations in this epistle, in light of the fact that it was written by Paul to Timothy, concern ministers of the gospel in particular. And so we'll see that. But remember that this word is written for the whole church. This is holy inspired scripture in the canon for the edification and upbuilding of the whole church of Jesus Christ. And so this call to stir up is a word that we all need to hear as members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let us consider the exhortation of the text under the theme, stir up the gift. Noticing in the first place the calling, noticing in the second place the reason, and noticing in the third place the aim. The apostle speaks of the gift of God which is in Timothy. Now what, what was that gift of God that was in Timothy? And the word translated gift there literally is charisma. And when we hear the word charisma, we think charismatic, but make sure to, to purge that out of the concept of charisma. The word itself means a gracious gift that God gives to his church. The word grace is inbuilt into that word. And so, in general, God, through Jesus Christ, has bestowed upon his church gifts, gifts which he gives by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. We find the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Charisma, the gracious gift, diversities of gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we read of gifts. And again, gifts in connection with the whole body. The apostle says, having, the, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, 
according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so there's a catalog there of gifts that God gives the church graciously through Jesus Christ. Now those gifts, as we'll see later, God gives to the church with a view to the edification and advantage of the church. These gifts are outward going and they seek to do good to the other members of the body. And we learn as well from those texts that God distributes these gifts in diversity according as it pleases him. So there is a diversity of administration of these gifts in different measures. And like we said, the word itself means gracious gift. The very Greek word has the word grace built into it, which means that these gifts proceed from God's favor towards us in Jesus Christ, and that these are undeserved, purchased for us, and obtained for us by the blood of Christ, which he by his Spirit imparts to the church. Now, what was the gift in Timothy? What was that gift in particular? And that gift pertained to his work as a minister of the gospel. We read of it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. In verse, in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4, the apostle says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Do not neglect it, Timothy, that gift which is in you. By prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. That gift was the gift qualifying for his work as an evangelist, as a minister, as an office bearer in the church of Jesus Christ. A gift qualifying him to the duties of that office teaching, instructing, exhorting, reproving, ministering publicly and from house to house, a facility and an aptitude to teach. In chapter 4, to 2 Timothy now, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, the apostle says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And that gift which God put in Timothy qualified him to do that work of an evangelist. Now, what's striking is that in 2 Timothy, it says that this gift is in him by the putting on of hands. Verse 6, stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So there's a connection there with the impartation of that gift and the laying on of hands, which is ordination. By the presbytery, we learn in First Timothy, but the apostle himself laid hands on Timothy. And that laying on of hands confirmed that gift in Timothy. It confirmed and sealed to Timothy that gift which was in him by the Holy Spirit to do this work. And by that ordination, the church officially set him apart with the gift in him to do the work to which God called him. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, in the first place, we all have gifts. We all have gifts. 
Let no, let no believer say, I don't have any gifts. That's not true. God says otherwise. Every believer has gifts. That's the teaching of Romans chapter 12. He addresses us and he says, having then gifts, it being so that you have gifts. Now those gifts uh, are varied and the measure of those gifts is varied. In Romans 12, the apostle speaks of uh, prophecy, say an aptitude and fitness to explain and apply and teach God's word. Ministry, serving one another, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, showing mercy. And we all have gifts in office too. Lord's Day 12 points out that we have office as believers. That is the office of believer. Having been anointed by the Holy Spirit who flows down from the head to the members. We are prophets, priests, and kings And in office, God gives us gifts to the functioning of those offices and the the doing of of the work of that office. And one of the ones that comes to mind is prophecy. We are all prophets in Jesus Christ. That means it doesn't require a special priesthood, Roman Catholicism, for someone to learn and understand what God's Word says, but we, having been anointed by the Spirit, are given the gift to interpret and explain and apply God's Word as believers. So we have these gifts. Now, among the diversity of the body, the body is very diverse, of course. You have ears and you have noses and eyes and feet and hands. Um, From the diversity of the body, it pleases God to call some to do the work of the minister, to do the work of the ministry. It pleases God to call some from the diversity of the body to the special office, and he gives that man the gift, qualifying him for the work of that office. So what is that, what is that gift what does giftedness mean then? What are the gifts that we usually speak of in connection with the ministry? A facility and an aptitude to teach and to instruct and to explain. And the principle here is that whom God calls, he qualifies. Whom God calls to office, he qualifies to do that office. Now, that does not mean there is not growth with respect to those gifts. We grow with respect to our gifts. And it's striking that in the forms, in the back of the Psalter, in the form of ordination uh, for minister, we pray this. We pray that God qualify him daily more and more by the Holy Spirit for the ministry to which thou hast ordained and called him. So we pray God to qualify more and more. And likewise, in the form for the ordination of elders and deacons, another special office uh, to whom God calls men and qualifies for that office. One of the things we pray in in that prayer is that God replenish them more and more with such gifts as are necessary for them in their ministration, with the gifts of wisdom, courage, discretion, and benevolence in particular there. The ordination by the church in ordaining men to special office is a significant event. 
as the text makes plain. And by that ordination, the church expresses her conviction that this one whom she and ultimately Christ through her calls to office has been gifted by God to the work, to do the work of that office. So that there is a confirmation there by the, by the act of ordination to the man called to special office. So that that ordination is not only an introduction into the special office, but that ordination is a confirmation and encouragement his whole life long to the one who has been called to that office. Christ has expressed himself through the church that he has called and that he has gifted, and the church discerning that calls him into office. Now, what is this calling to stir up the gift? It's quite a calling. Stir, I put you in remembrance, Timothy, that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. And the idea of that word is rouse it up. Rouse it up. That word has the, has the word fire built into it. A, a stirring up the flame, as it were. So that other translations will, ha- will put it this way, fan into flame or kindle afresh, drawing from the word fire that is built into the phrase, stir up, stir up the gift. And the idea there, we're familiar with it, fire, say, in embers, and the fire is ebbing low, it's waning, and so you stoke the fire and you blow on the fire, and the fire rouses uh, into flame. And that's the word then that the apostle uses in verse 6. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, it's the opposite of neglecting the gift. Stir up the gift is the opposite of what the apostle speaks of in in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. To neglect the gift... Uh, such that the gift uh, lies idle, as it were, is not being used, is not being exercised as it ought to be. The one who neglects the gift doesn't have a care about the gift. It just sits there, and it's not used. Stir up is the opposite of that. Stir up is making use of that gift with zeal and with vigor and with energy and with courage and with boldness, exercising the gift of God that God has given us. Now, why such a calling? Why why such a calling to young Timothy? Stir up the gift. I remind you to stir up the gift. And the fact that the apostle puts him in remembrance of this does not mean that Timothy had been remiss with respect to the gift. It doesn't necessarily mean that he had been Uh, negligent with the use of the gift. Neither does the apostle put him in remembrance of this out of a fear uh, that Timothy was was going to be lazy or anything like that. Although Timothy too was a man and of like passions as we are. But in particular, the apostle puts him in remembrance of this in light of the burdens and circumstances and work to which God called Timothy. Burdens and circumstances and threats even that would dampen and hinder 
Timothy in the use of that gift that God gave him. And why do we, why do we say that? Well, notice verse 7. The reason that, that the apostle gives, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So fear has something to do with the apostle's call to Timothy to stir up the gift. And the word fear there means timidity. It means the opposite of courage, to be timid. And the apostle says, not that. Stir up the gift with zeal and with courage. So what would be some of those things? What was against Timothy that might be the occasion for timidity, for uh, discourage and fear in that respect? Well, consider the difficulty of the work that Timothy was called to be engaged in. That was tough work. And when a man looks uh, at a road before him and sees how difficult that road is, he naturally shrinks from that. And so the apostle says, stir up the gift, Timothy, with boldness and with zeal. Go forth in the exercise of your office. Or consider the opposition that stood against Timothy. There were false teachers in town, and there were more false teachers who were going to come. The apostle says in chapter 3, this know also that in the last, last days perilous times shall come. That's what's against Timothy. Perilous times and perilous men of those times. You can understand that with such adversity and opposition being lodged against someone, that a man naturally wants to shrink at that and naturally, by nature, cowers at that. Like a soldier in the trenches, say, who sees the, the forces and the hosts coming against him and his insides shrink and he, he, he's afeared and he cowers. He's timid. The apostle says, stir it up, Timothy, with courage and with zeal. Or persecution. Going forward meant the very great likelihood of persecution. So that in the next breath, verse 8, the apostle says, Be not thou for, uh, therefore ashamed, but be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Now what man by nature wants to be in bonds? What man by nature wants to do that which will very well incur persecution? If not death, then imprisonment. And so with all of these threats, as it were, circling around Timothy and recognizing the humanness of Timothy and how those things would dampen and hinder Timothy in the work of his office, the apostle says, stir up the gift of God that is in you with courage and with zeal and with boldness. Now, we need to hear this kind of calling as well. We need to hear a, a, a stir it up. And that's true not only with respect to the special offices, but with respect to us generally as members of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, why do we need to hear this kind of calling? Well, because of our proneness to becoming uh, spiritually stagnant, as it were. Because of our proneness by reason of our flesh to a torpidity. Uh, to being languid, to being spiritually lazy. With respect to the Christian life, with respect to the use of the gifts that God has given us in the admonition and, uh, to the admonition and advantage of the body, 
We need to hear this calling because we are by nature prone to becoming sedated with the things of this earth, the things of this world. All of the pleasantries and all of the luxuries and all of the entertainments and all of the uh, glamour of this life. And by nature, we like to uh, become sedated on those things so that the, the use of the gift is idle and so that we are not exercising ourselves in things spiritual because we're so wrapped up with the things of this world. And so the apostle says, stir up the gift. And also the application comes to the minister because the men in special offices are just as human as everyone else. And neither are ministers of the gospel immune to these kinds of things, susceptible by nature to becoming distracted and entangled with the things of this world, susceptible to being drawn away from the use of the gift by reason of uh, overindulging himself in worldly things, susceptible to becoming disheartened and discouraged with regard to the work. Again, Timothy, there's no way he could have been immune from that. Times of being discouraged and disheartened when he considered what difficulty awaited him coupled with his own weakness as a mortal human being. And then neither is the minister susceptible, uh, or neither is the minister immune from being intimidated. Again, verse 7, stir up the gift, for God has not given us the spirit of timidity. By nature, uh, a, a timidness when it comes to the work. Timid at what's uh, this person going to, or what opposition might arise from this word that the minister has to bring, or what kind of assaults is he going to have to experience, or things like that. And by reason of the fact that men in special offices are by nature just as timid as everyone else, the apostle says, do not cower, but stir it up. Be bold, be courageous, use the gift, preach, teach, instruct, reprove, exhort, reprimand. No matter what the face of man says, no matter what persecution may come, stir up the gift of God that is in you. And the reason is God. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice how the apostle puts him in remembrance to stir up the gift, but then appeals, he argues that exhortation on the basis of what God gave us. And God gave us the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the, what is the gift here? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And there's a, a question that occurs in verse 7, and that is ought the, uh, the word spirit there. The apostle speaks of the spirit. And when he talks about the spirit, the implied spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, is it lowercase s? In which case the apostle is speaking of spirit as the inner spiritual aspect of our existence? Or when he says God has given us the spirit dot 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 of power and of love and of a sound mind, is it capital S? 
Is he speaking here of the Holy Spirit? And it's the latter. And why do we say that? Why do we say that? Why do we, why do we choose the latter, capital S? And the reason is because we find a like expression in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And here the apostle is speaking of our adoption, but he uses a similar grammatical structure. And he says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And another reason that inclines us uh, to the view that the apostle here is speaking of the Holy Spirit whom God gave us is the fact that in Scripture, when you come across the gift, the gifts God gives us, the charisma, always he speaks of that in connection with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and other passages as well. So when you read of the gracious gift, it, it makes sense that in the same breath he would speak of the Holy Spirit. But either way, either way it's interpreted, it comes down to the same thing. When it comes to spirit lowercase us, the inner spiritual aspect of our existence, whatever power and whatever love and whatever soundness of mind characterizes that spirit, who produces it? Who effects that? Who has brought it about? And the answer is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. The apostle then grounds the calling on the profound reason that God gave us the Holy Spirit. Us, not just Timothy, not even just Timothy and Paul, us, the body, the church of Jesus Christ. And God gave us the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, the head and mediator of the church so that the very gift of the Holy Spirit to us who as we read in chapter 1 verse 14 the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us the very giving of the Holy Spirit to the members of the body and the body in common is a fruit of the atoning death of Jesus Christ by which he satisfied for all of our sins so the, the gift of God of the Holy Spirit is realized through the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do, we, why do we say that? Why do we connect the giving of the Spirit with the death of Jesus Christ? Well, consider the book of John, especially in the upper room discourse, how often he says to his disciples, on the eve of his death, I must go away. I'm, I have to go. I have to leave this earth in my body. And that going away that would culminate with his ascension includes within it the death of Jesus Christ. Because through his death, Jesus entered into his glory and having ascended into heaven, received the promise of the Holy Spirit on the basis of his blessed merits on the cross. And having received the Spirit, pours the Spirit out upon the church. So let us never casually say gift of the Holy Spirit, but let's realize what that means. That Jesus Christ himself has given us his spirit to dwell in our hearts and that that giving came at the cost of the blood of the Son of God in the flesh. 
that we might have the Holy Spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he is the spirit of power. That especially now in the second point, and that's first for a reason in the text, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power. What is power? Power is might, power is strength, power is the ability to do and to accomplish in spite of opposition and in spite of uh, that which is against someone, power. And he is the spirit of power. How do, we, how do we see that? Well, behold his works. He himself is powerful being God, the Holy Spirit. He is omnipotent. He shares fully, like as we heard this morning, in the divine being. And therefore, he is powerful. Consider his work of regeneration, which is nothing less than a recreation, which is nothing less than a spiritual resurrection from the dead. That's some power. And he is the Holy Spirit of power. He is himself powerful, and by his power, he strengthens us. And that connects it then with, with the idea of exercising the gift of office. By his power, he strengthens us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle praying to God prays that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And that word might there is the same word translated power in the text. The Holy Spirit strengthens us with power according or in the inner man. Stir up the gift, Timothy, because the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is the spirit of power. And to see that power on display, consider some illustrations of that, of that strength. Think about the Apostle Peter. Think about the Apostle Peter before Pentecost Sunday and after Pentecost Sunday. And before Pentecost Sunday, you have the Apostle Peter who cowered and was timid and who folded in front of a, maid, a maidservant in the court of the high priest and denied the Lord three times. Fear, timidity, but now behold Peter, Christ having poured out his spirit upon the church, and, and what do we see? We see might and we see power. We see the exercise of the gift of the office with vigor and zeal, preaching to the multitudes in Jerusalem in spite of the opposition of the Pharisees. Peter, thrown in jail time and again, but continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or think about the apostle Paul. Consider for a moment what work God had for him. Paul, a man of like passions as we are, no less human than we are human. He had the burden of the, all of the churches upon his shoulders, shipwrecked, beaten with stripes, stoned, uh, and, and traveling from one destination to the next, get stoned uh, near... Derby and Lystra on his first missionary journey, gets up, goes to the next city, keeps preaching. Every synagogue he went into met with opposition and unbelief and stones and stripes. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain a man doing that? 
And the answer is the Holy Spirit of power whom God gave us, who brings that about efficaciously by his might and by his strength. So therefore, the apostle, recognizing very well what was against Timothy, under no delusion about the difficulty of the work that Timothy had and of the persecution that was going to meet him and was meeting him already and of the, the fury of the false teachers against the, the true gospel, he appeals in the, the call to stir up. He appeals to the Holy Spirit of power. And that's arousing to faith. Notice the connection between verses 5 and 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance. And the Apostle Paul rouses him to faith here, uh, rouses his faith anew in God and in Jesus Christ. He, he, has, he, he lifts Timothy's heart and mind above so that instead of uh, keeping his eyes here below on what is against him and the difficulty of the work to be engaged in, he has Timothy remember Jesus Christ who gave us the Spirit. When a man neglects the gift, or when a man in the exercise of the gift is timid and cowers and is afeared, his faith is ebbing low. His faith is weak. And so this is a rousing to faith, to believe anew in our uh, Lord Jesus Christ and the gift that he gave us. We say in the creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost who dwells in me. And therefore, that's, that's a word for us in, in moments when we need to hear an exhortation like stir up the gift to remember what God gave us, to say of ourselves, I am weak, it's true, but God is strong. I am timid, but God is mighty, and God himself dwells in me by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what opposition? But even deeper than that, stir up the gift because of whom God gave us, because the one whom God gave us effectuates the stirring up of the gift. Because of the Spirit, we stir up. And the necessity of that is simply this, that for the believer to work, God must work. That's the, that's the rule. That's the principle. For the believer to stir up, God must stir up in his heart. That's the John 15, verse 6 principle. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, believers, says, without me, you can't do a thing. Without me, ye can do nothing, thereby bringing out our utter dependence upon God for the very stirring up of the gift that God gave us. To say it uh, in a more picturesque way, God must fire the flame of our heart. God must fan the flame of our hearts into blazes. And as a result of that, we stir up the gift and fan the gift anew. And he does that. Philippians chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And therefore, stir up the gift. Therefore, rouse it up. Do not let the gift sit idly there, but exercise that gift which God gave us. Neglect it not. Seeing that we depend 
for everything upon God by the Holy Spirit now in particular, that dependence expresses itself in prayer. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And that dependence upon, the, upon God by the Holy Spirit to rouse us to this rousing expresses itself in prayer. And even as the Holy Spirit is pleased to use means in his work, the means in particular now of the word, spirit and word, the Spirit is pleased to work by the Word. Now, what is the aim of this, of this remembrance? I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. And the aim of the exercise of the gift, the exercise of the office, is the good of the church. And now we turn to the other two terms in verse 7. God hath given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's how the spirit operates in our hearts. Power and love and soundness of mind conjoined together. In the first place, love. The spirit produces love in our hearts. And that's true in many different respects. Romans chapter 5, the spirit uh, causes the love of God to, or he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. He gives us to know God's love. He makes us assured of God's love to usward. And the Holy Spirit imparting to us and making us to know the love of God kindles in our hearts a love for God, this delight in God and this desire, this heart desire towards God and a desire to serve God. And loving God, the Holy Spirit kindles and works in our hearts a burning love for our neighbor. And now that in particular, the spirit of love, a love now that is directed towards the good and the advantage and the salvation of us mutually as members of the body of Jesus Christ. And we read in verse 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now that word is, is a little bit more difficult, but it's opposed, soundness of mind, it's opposed to one who's outside of himself, one who's outside of his senses. Positively, that idea of a sound mind has the idea of prudence, judgment, uh, whereby one, one governs himself uh, according to reason and judgment and wisdom. And you find that word scattered throughout the pastoral epistles. When you read of the book of, in the book of Titus, for example, when we read the word sober, that the aged men be sober, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Chapter 2, verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Same word there. Same root word, sound, sound mind. Uh, self-disciplined, over and against uh, unbridled and unrestrained. The point here now is that this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, love and soundness of mind. And power now is conjoined with those other two terms. And what that means now with regard to of a sound mind is that the exercise of the gift 
and the, the exercise and the use of, of the gift and the office is of a sound mind. It's not a, a reckless, rash, fanatical, unbridled, unrestrained stirring up and use of the gift. But it is a strength and a power by virtue of the Holy Spirit that is knit together with prudence and judgment and wisdom in uh, one's use of the gift. Same with respect to power. This is a strength and power effected in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is knit together with love because he is the spirit of love. Which means that in the use of the gift, the stirring it up, making use of the gift, that's done in love. That is directed in love for the body, for the church. Consider Timothy in his office. Timothy's office was emphatically an office intended for the advantage and salvation of the church of Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of love, then, Timothy gives himself and is willing to spend himself and be spent for the good of the church. Seeing these false teachers, for example, as, as wolves that would destroy and hurt the church, but by the power and love of the Holy Spirit, Timothy stirring up the gift and warding off the false teachers and preaching the sound doctrine and protecting the flock and giving himself for the good of the flock. And that's a powerful motive. Love for the church that flows ultimately from, from love for God and God's first love towards us. And that's the aim then when it comes to our calling to stir up the gift that is in us. When you read about the gifts in Holy Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for, exist, uh, for example, but also 1 Peter chapter 4, we read of, of the gift. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So with whatever propensities and abilities and faculties God has gifted us with, the aim of the gifts of God given by the Spirit is the good of the church. And therefore, neglect not the gift. What advantage are you doing to your neighbor and to your brother and to your sister uh, when one neglects the gift? but rather, as the Apostles' Creed says in Lord's Day 21, that we use the gift God has given us for the advantage and salvation of other members. And that now, in particular, uh, with regard to the office of the minister, that's the aim of the office. That, that's one of the great aims of the office, is the good of the church. So the apostle calls ministers of the gospel to stir up the gift which is in them, in love for the church, to have the faces of the members before him as he labors in the study, and to be thinking about and, and considering to himself how to do good to, or how to be a means for good to 
the church an instrument in God's hand. And again, that love is a mighty aim and a mighty motive. Stir up the gift for God. Stir up the gift, Timothy. Stir up the gift that is in you, Southeast Protestant Reformed Church, whether in special office or not, for God. And so again, as we said earlier, the Apostle Paul uh, will have us then to lift our minds and hearts up to God when it comes to the exhor- this exhortation here and the exhortations to come. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word and for the rich instruction of thy word and for the Holy Spirit who gives us to know and understand and interpret and apply thy word. And we pray thee, Father, that thou wilt by thy word grow us up in faith and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that thou wilt increase us with respect to the gift that thou hast given us, that thou wilt cause us more and more to use that which thou hast given us by the strength of the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to will and to do, that we might do for the good of one another as brethren and sisters in the Lord. We pray for ministers of the gospel near and far and for those whom thou hast called to special office in the church. Thou wilt daily qualify them more and more with gifts fitting for the work of the office and endue us all by, with a rich measure of thy grace and Holy Spirit that we might give ourselves and that we might spend ourselves with zeal and vigor to the exercise of the gift that thou hast given us to the glory of thy name. Forgive our sins and keep sin far from us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.